You're listening to Distilling Theology. I'm Blake. And I'm Justin. This is a new podcast combining discussions of theology and distilled spirits. And dad jokes. Amen. What's wrong with you people? You're not David. I don't know why you're clapping. I'm talking about you. Fatality. You know, starting a podcast about theology and distilled spirits is whiskey business. (laughs) I said that with a straight face. Distilling Theology. Welcome back to another episode of Distilling Theology. I am here with my good friend Blake, and I would like Blake to tell us what we're sipping tonight. Well, tonight we're trying a scotch which is very popular and very readily available. It is called Glenlivet 12-Year. It is a Speyside Scotch from the Highlands of Scotland, specifically the Speyside region. We talked about this briefly in another episode, but there are six major Scotch production regions. Glenlivet is a Speyside, and Speysides are known for their fruity character and deliciousness. So let's see what's on the nose. All right. Um, Right off the bat, I get vanilla and honey very strongly. Mm. Um, There's definitely, definitely fruit. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Apples, pineapple. Orchard fruit. Citrus. Yeah, but it's not like super bright citrus, like a no. lemon or orange peel. It's definitely more in that like apple pear yeah. kind of territory. Yeah. And, it, and there's almost like a hint of cinnamon uh, kind of throughout. Yeah. But very light. Let's see how this thing tastes. All right. Cheers. Mm. It's a solid one, man. It's, it's solid every time. Yeah, that's really, it's not as sweet as the nose makes you think it's going to be. Like, it smells a lot sweeter than it tastes, I think. Sure. Yeah, I mean, you definitely get some of that sweetness from the apple and the fruitiness uh, and the citrus, but it's almost kind of like a thin creaminess because it's a thin, it's definitely a thinner scotch, uh, a little bit watery in the sense of of just mouthfeel. Yeah. But you still kind of have overtones of creaminess going throughout. It's also very, very light in appearance, which is good Mm -hmm. that generally it doesn't guarantee that it's not colored, but that's generally a good sign if you have a scotch that isn't extra super mature yeah. that's not super dark is usually a good sign that they didn't color it, yeah. which is basically a process that distilleries will use. It's mostly a marketing thing. It doesn't affect the flavor, but they basically add dyes to the whiskey to make it appear older sure. and darker and, and all that jazz, which I'm not, I, I'm torn on it. Like on the one hand, I love <laughs> it when, well, at the end of the day, if it tastes good, right? Right. right. Like that's, that's the big thing for me. But I do appreciate distilleries like Bunahaven, for example, or Glendronic that list out like, hey, not chill filtered, not colored, age stated. Here's the casks we used. Like, I like that transparency because this is something that I'm consuming. I like to know what I'm consuming. Yeah, it's almost like uh, nutrition facts. (laughs) Well, actually, fun fact, free of charge, the more you know, whiskey, as far as I know, so actually not necessarily a fact, but. I think it's a fact. Whiskey was one of the first items, at least in the United States, that had an ingredients label or like a, uh, a an actual label of, of what was in it. Because mm-hmm. this thing was happening in the 1800s, people were making moonshine, and people were selling stuff in whiskey bottles that wasn't whiskey. It was basically just a mix of chemicals that was dyed uh, brown, <laughs> and people were drinking it and like dying in the streets. Mm. So this is the one time that I would say government regulation was a, a helpful thing because the government said, okay, look, you can't sell bourbon whiskey legally unless 
it's at least 51% corn. It's produced in one of the 50 United States. And it it's not just Kentucky. <laughs> and it won't kill you because it's 51% corn and it's aged at least two years in virgin oak barrels that have been charred on the inside. So there's okay. your little bourbon thing. It doesn't just have to be from Kentucky. So as... It's, yeah. yeah, as you're talking here, I can kind of feel it's kind of a long-lasting scotch mm. as it sits on your tongue. Uh, you get some more apple, you get some almonds, and it just kind of, Ooh, yeah. it's kind of like a satisfying scotch that you could easily drink over a longer period of time because you don't feel like you immediately need another sip to really enjoy it. And fun fact, this particular bottling, the 12-year Glenlivet, has since been replaced by their Founders Reserve. Mm. Typically, you'll see the Founders comes in a, in a more clear bottle. This comes in a, a green one it's got uh, like a white label with blue on it. it says established 1824 and stuff Ooh. which i've also had the founders reserve which was pretty good but i think i think i prefer the 12 year Ooh, so yeah, that is interesting funny story i read a i read a uh, comment about this particular scotch and uh, it had to have been a dad that wrote it because it says this is the manila envelope of scotch and it's a good thing <laughs> yeah so that was great it's amazing I'm going to start um, that, des- describing scotches yeah. as as uh, stationary, different stationary objects. This is this is the paperweight of scotch. This is the this the is clearly pen. the wax stamper of scotches. Uh, I love it. Someday we'll find a dad joke in there, and uh, it will be glorious. And on that bombshell, hey, what are we going to be talking about theologically tonight? Ooh, so following off the heels of the previous episode on Sola Gratia, we're going to continue our series or sequence here on the five solas of the Protestant Reformation with the next sola, this one being sola fide, that is justification by faith alone. And before you go and correct me and say that that term is wonky and where is that in the Bible and why are you adding all these doctrinal concepts? Let's turn to Galatians 2 verse 15. (laughs) One of my favorites. Oh, it's beautiful. He writes, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Well, (laughs) I should note that I am definitely uh, not a Jew at birth. I am definitely a Gentile sinner by birth, but um, likewise, regardless, the point remains because he says, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. So there it is, justification by faith Exactly. And uh, like you were saying, you know, right at the beginning, you know, obviously we're not Jews by birth. Um, And I think in context that that's kind of precisely what he's saying. He's saying, look, he's, he's talking to the Jews and he's saying, look, yes, we're Jews by birth and we're not the Gentiles, but that's got nothing to do with it because a person is not justified by works of the law, which was given to the Jews, but by faith alone. So he's kind of hammering the nail right then and there. Yeah, that's excellent. And I also think as we get into that, particular concept like obviously there's been a lot written on this topic and i think it's an oft Mm. misunderstood doctrine in our context today and we'll get into that as the episode unfolds you know i think that (laughs) some of the reformers had some pretty poignant statements about this particular issue because of all the solas obviously the authority of scripture alone which we're going to come to at the finale and, and the glory of god they're all really really important but this one 
was particularly pertinent to Luther and to some of the other reformers because of the weight that it held. And I think, unfortunately, and I'm guilty of this, a lot of Protestants misrepresent what the Roman Catholic doctrine was because we mm-hmm. misunderstand it. We think that they they thought that it was works and, and not grace. And that's not what they taught. And yet there's a huge distinction within the Protestant understanding of sola fide. And right. I think that they, they said some pretty good stuff about that. Yeah, um, it was definitely the reformer's position that it was through faith alone that we receive uh, righteousness of Christ and then therefore participate in him so that when we stand before God, we're spotless, you know, that imputed righteousness. Mm. Um, They definitely subscribe to faith alone, which is kind of the whole point of the 95 Theses and all that. And so Luther, uh, as he's going through Romans and wrestling uh, with this faith alone uh, doctrine, uh, he says this in his uh, 1518 Heidelberg Disputation. He says, he is not righteous who does much, but he who without work believes much in Christ. And I think that's a Beautiful exhortation. You know, contextually, he's coming directly into contrast with the church whom he left, (laughs) who taught specifically that if you believed in faith alone, that was considered accursed. They declared that anathema, Mm. accursed to believe in faith alone. So he's he's wrestling with that as he's reading through Romans, and he comes to just the opposite conclusion because, well, frankly, that's what Scripture teaches. Oh, shoot. Remind me to insert a cool sound effect there. (laughs) He goes on as he's talking. Theses 28 says this. The love of God does not find but creates that which is pleasing to it. I'm going to stop there. The love of God creates that which is pleasing to it. So (laughs) it's God being the initiator, bringing us into faith, which is pleasing to him. And it's him who's creating that faith in us. Wow. And then he goes on to say, the love of man comes into being through that which is pleasing to it. Ooh. Man, I wish I wish I was nearly as smart as some of these guys. <laughs> well, here on Distilling Theology, we're just two lay people, but we're going to... I want to spend some time on these. I have another quote that I wanted to read, but uh, I just want to sit on those for a second because... Yeah. Wow. The love of God creates... That would, I mean, mm-hmm. wow. Like, I mean, think about that. In the beginning, God created. Mm-hmm. And we talked about this in our episode on on creation and, and regeneration as well, that we see God in the process of recreating, making us new creations because he has set his love upon his people. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Woo. That's right. such a good re- <laughs> right. Just imagine that God creates in us faith, and then using that faith, we are then oriented to properly understand how to live the whole of human life. Like outside of faith, doing works adds nothing. Hmm. And inside faith in Christ, doing work is pleasing to God, and we only hmm. do it because God is pleased in us to do that. <laughs> Preach. It's, it's unbelievable. Glory, hallelujah. Amen. <laughs> I have a chapter open here in uh, R.C. Sproul's book, Faith Alone, the Evangelical Doctrine of Justification. Mm. And in his chapter on evangelicals and Catholics, he talks about what we, what we mentioned earlier about Rome and, and uh, the different views there. But he says the issue was how the objective, redemptive work of Christ is subjectively appropriated by the sinner. That is... 
how this specific thing that Jesus absolutely did accomplish is applied individually, personally to the believer as they're a sinner, right? It's like Jesus lived the perfect life, suffered, died, raised again, and his specific objective work is then like, how is that applied to us? And he goes on to say, also crucial to the controversy was the objective ground of justification. So what is the basis? What is the foundation of that justification? And the reformers insisted that the righteousness of Christ is the sole ground of our justification. And again, Martin Luther, for Martin Luther, justification by faith alone means that justification is by the righteousness of Christ alone and his righteousness is appropriated by faith alone. In other words, that the, the, our moral standing before God, our ability on the last day to stand before him and be welcomed in good and faithful servant is found on nothing less and nothing other than the work, the perfect accomplishments of Jesus Christ. Right. That and the way that the we attain to them. Right. <laughs> and the way that we attain to that is not by meritorious works. We don't reach at that justification through penance. We attain to it mm. by faith. Whew. You see examples of this in the gospel. Um, mm. I think of Matthew 5, uh, Jesus' statement from the Sermon on the Mount. He says, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, Ooh, the, the most religious, religious elite of the day, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. So then he goes on to state that the tax collector, uh, the most wicked of man <laughs> at that time, because they were just like greedy thieves and horrible Mm. people took advantage of the poor and the widow, that the tax collector could be justified. So Mm. how could a sinner, a tax collector in that day, exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees, which obviously we know we can't, pretty, you know, blatant. But the only answer that's possible could be that his righteousness was not his own. Uh, Mm. Philippians 3.9, you know, the righteousness was imputed to him by faith. Yeah. Which leads us into Romans four. Ooh, <laughs> I, I thought uh, I had a feeling you were going there. Right, Romans four. Uh, we'll just start at verse one uh, right. because this is is really following suit that same content. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham our forefather according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, then he had something to boast about, but not before God. For what does his scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Uh, That's like he was credited righteousness. Uh, I've read in other translations. Now, Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but who instead believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing to the one whom God counts as righteousness apart from works. And then he quotes David, says, blessed are those who the lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. So go on, give give me some thoughts. Oh, that's so good. Well, I think that that's an interesting dichotomy too. And we see this repeated again, I didn't think to pull this up, but we see this again in the book of Hebrews, that same idea of Abraham walking by faith, 
right? Mm -hmm. That Mm -hmm. it was by faith that Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out. And by faith, he went and lived in the land of promise. This is from chapter 11, starting in verse 8. I'm just reading real fast through here. Uh, By faith, Sarah herself received the power to conceive, and he considered God faithful who had promised. It goes on and on and on. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessing. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed the son, blessed each of the sons of Joseph. And in the midst of that, it says, these died in faith, not having received the promise. In other words, Abraham wasn't just looking at what God was providing for him in the moment. He was looking ahead in this eschatological Mm -hmm. sense, right? To the city whose maker and builder was God is what the author of Hebrews tells us. And we're seeing that exact idea presented by Paul in Romans that Abraham is justified by faith. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Right. Right. And let's also consider the the timeline context here. Abraham was before Mm. Christ. Amen. Way before Christ. So he's still justified by faith in Christ, but Christ had not yet come. Mm. Hence the term credited. He was credited that righteousness. He, he, He put his faith in what God had planned and he put his faith in God. Therefore, that faith was credited him righteousness, and his salvation was through that faith. His justification was through that faith, even before Christ did come. (laughs) And we're on the other side. We're on the other side of Christ now, and we're looking back at Christ. But the central focus all this time has been Christ and faith in Hmm. him. That's so good. I was wondering if you could pick up, I know I opened up with reading uh, Galatians 2.15 through 16. I was wondering if you could pick up in uh, 17 through like, I don't know, 20, through the end of that chapter. Yeah, absolutely. So Galatians goes on. It says, but if, our, if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, which we know we are, mm-hmm. is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Mm -hmm. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. And I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. <laughs> so, wow. we, uh, I believe I believe it was John MacArthur who I heard say this in a sermon, but that the law was given to crush us, mm. and we know that the law to be justified uh, in a worldly sense, we would have to fully obey the law, and we can't. Mm. So, this makes it clear: the law was given, we have to follow it. We can't. We're crushed. Therefore. <laughs> We we need some other righteousness, some foreign righteousness, and the only way to get that righteousness is the former statements in Galatians that it's through faith. <laughs> oh man, yes, <laughs> I I like man that is so good. It makes me think of uh, I mean I know we were in Ephesians two earlier. We'll probably spend a lot of this podcast in Ephesians two shamelessly. Sure. <laughs> but in that chapter, I mean, we've already kind of gone through this a little, so I won't read the whole thing, but it starts with you were dead in trespasses and sins and and lays out in three verses the state of mankind as being dead um, and mm. under the power of evil. And then verse four, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead, made us alive with Christ. By grace, you've been saved, raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. 
And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them, Mm. which raises a very interesting conversation that tends to crop up anytime you talk about the doctrine of justification by faith alone. Mm. And that is the topic of antinomianism, which in layman's terms is this heretical doctrine or concept that, well, we're saved by grace, so we can just do whatever we want, Mm. which, Mm. you know, that first of all, I mean, before we even go to some of the passages that speak directly to that issue, like even right there in Ephesians 2, where he's not directly confronting that, he pretty much destroys it. Like we're created his workmanship, created for good works, which God prepared beforehand, which you should walk in. Like... (laughs) I, well, I, I, Paul, Paul addresses this exact question, that exact question to the, in, the, in Romans. Oh, yeah. Uh, Let's do Romans it. 6. Mm. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? And then he, that's a rhetorical question, by the way, that he asks, and then he answers his own question. He says, by no means, mm. how can we who died to sin still live in sin? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized in Christ Jesus were baptized into his death and that we were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the father, we too might walk in newness of life. Mm. <laughs> and I mean, this whole, this whole chapter is amazing, but he picks up again in verse 15 and he says kind of the same idea. He's like, what then are we to sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? Which Again, and it, by I, no means. <laughs> right. And the thing is, though, people do. I've, I've heard people present a variation of this idea in a slippery slope kind of way. Hmm. Like, well, and, and, and unfortunately, I mean, this speaks to kind of culture a little bit here. But unfortunately, a lot of what I see in popular Christian culture, I'm not going to call out specific denominations because I don't necessarily think it's a dom- denominational issue. I think it's a sure. broader and, and I don't think it's, you know, across denominations either. It's just like. There's a bunch of different people who are teaching this, like, well, we don't want to use the word sin around here. Yeah. Like we want to say, or, or like, we want to say, well, you messed up. And again, I'm not, mm. I'm not coming against saying like, you know, we, we did mess up and we do need, and we need to repent of sin. I think there is. We shouldn't only focus on sin. This shouldn't be the Correct. sole focus of what we talk about. Oh, absolutely but we, it not. needs to be addressed and it needs to be taken seriously. It does because he goes on as there. What then? Are we to sin because we're not under the law, but under grace? By no means. Or other translations say, God forbid. In other words, he, Paul is using here the full emphatic force of no. Uh, right. <laughs> he says, do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. But mm. thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed and have been set free from sin and have become slaves of righteousness. Which is, that's a that's a term that you don't hear preached as often as I think uh, it should be termed. <laughs> well, that sounds a little bit like uh, we don't have total free will there, Blake. What? What? <laughs> I, this uh, is the first time I'm hearing of this. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> well, and, and to that point, we, we actually talk about this in one of our off-script shows on our Patreon. Uh, in our breakdown for the film Joker... We talk about the fact that 
watching reviews of that movie without giving anything away for our review or for that film, I saw multiple secular sources use this comment that this character doesn't really have free will. And then they break into like this kind of, uh, I guess what would be sociology or Mm -hmm. psychology, this idea, like it's not really full heady philosophy. They're basically arguing like nature v nurture. And they're saying like, yeah, you really don't like you are pre like your will, the way you make choices is biased based upon your experiences your uh conditions that you grew up in like the environment you're around and Mm -hmm. also your previous choices so Mm -hmm. no choice is truly libertarian free will in the philosophical sense that is that a choice is made spontaneously and purely without any influence from external or internal sources Mm -hmm. and so we come firmly against this idea of libertarian free will uh, not just because it doesn't really make sense psychologically, but because the Bible clearly teaches that that's not the case. We're not morally neutral people that are just sitting there falling into, oh, I messed up. It's like, no, we're enemies of God and we're turning away because we hate God and, and we we want to sin. And then God takes us from that state of death and makes us alive in Christ by grace, mm-hmm. yeah. gives us the faith to believe, right? Mm-hmm. And then our very justification is by Christ. And so now that we're justified by faith and we're walking, what are we going to do? Are we going to sin because we're under grace, not the law? May it never be. God right. forbid. <laughs> I went on a little longer than I expected, but just well, it's important. If you just think about the terms used here in scripture, slaves, hmm. just think of the term slave. Does a slave choose to all of a sudden not be a slave anymore? Hmm. No, it's his master who sets him free. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can stop there. We are slaves of sin mm-hmm. until our master sets us free. He breaks the chains, as scripture says, breaks the chains of sin so that we then may be slaves of righteousness. Hmm. Man, that is... Whew. Mm. <laughs> It's just so good. I mean, I know we're doing a lot of that mm, and so good, but it's like this is these are these are silent and and well not silent. They're they're inaudible uh, amens. Mm. Yeah, it's <laughs> we're just, just agreeing with scripture. Man, it's like the gospel is such good, news, such tremendously good news because it takes us like you have to serve something, and you're gonna be affected. Like your decisions, your will, your choices. Jonathan Edwards described the the will as the mind choosing, which I think is an apt mm. definition. And we'll, we'll talk about that more when we get into the nature of man and, uh, you know, that, that part of anthropology and, um, free will and all that. But regardless, <laughs> the mind choosing and what do we choose based upon our desires and the problem is right. in our desires. And yet there's grace. Ah, oh, what wonderful yeah. grace. Amen. I found this, uh, no, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, you first. <laughs> no, please. By all means. Uh, by no means, by all oh, means. <laughs> touche. Um, I found this quote from John MacArthur on this topic, and it speaks to what we were talking about there of how that antinomianism can sneak in to this doctrine one way or another, or the, the twin heresy of legalism where you marry the works of the law to your justification. Hmm. And this comes into the discussion that we had last week about the different ways the Bible talks about salvation. Mm-hmm. So MacArthur says, as soon as justification is fused with sanctification, works righteousness becomes an essential part of the process. Faith is thus diluted with works. Sola fide is abandoned. This was the error of the Galatian legalists. And he quotes the verses that we were just looking at. Paul called it a different 
gospel in Galatians 1, 6, and 9. And the same yeah. error is found virtually in every false cult. It's the main error of Roman Catholicism. And he also brings up some other uh, uh, current things that, you know, current waves that may be delving into that concept. But I think yeah. that's, you know, to, I mean, you could talk about that a little bit more like this, these distinctions we mentioned. I think it's worth bringing them up again. But the way the Bible talks about salvation, I think it's really huge because I, th- I hear so often saved by faith alone. And yes, but we're forgetting that works are necessary, but mm-hmm. that gets people in hot water. Uh, you were talking right. about that. Um, why don't you say that? Or, well, yeah. yeah. So ultimately, I think uh, uh, Luther articulates this again. We come back to Luther. He, as he's wrestling through these issues and come in and, and writing about them, the really the best way that, that it gets summarized is that he, he's essentially saying that sola fide is not just to do with our judicial standing before God. It's not just like, okay, we're saved by faith alone. So now we're imputed with righteousness and that's it. It doesn't end there. Um, what he what he talks about is that it orients our entire Christian lifestyle so that um, when we have a proper understanding of faith alone, it should really ultimately cause us to stop thinking um, that we have this license to just have libertarianism uh, in the way that we exercise our, our moral laziness and and we can just do whatever we want because grace, 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 you know. It's that same concept that was just talked about in, uh, in, in, in those scriptures we were reading. It, ultimately, if we truly believe in faith alone, it should orient us in such a way that our whole life is then centered and focused around the works that God has Put before us that we should walk in them. This idea that, okay, now we're free in faith to act upon the good works because no, we're no longer slaves to sin and our sinful nature that keep us going back to the vomit. And we can actually choose to do things that are good and righteous and holy and pleasing before God. Mm. Yes. And amen. Man, yeah. that is... I, we just, you know, you, you hear us nerding out a lot on this topic, but it's like, when, man, when I when I started to dig into this and see it in the Bible, not just hear someone talk about it, but like see the scriptures that we were looking at tonight and others that we didn't turn to, it just changed my whole paradigm because I wrestled with both sides of this thing. I was mm-hmm. a legalist for a period of time in my life and not just in my own life, but I, you know, the, the other side of legalism is you tend to be judgmental towards other people and sure. you tend to, you know, judge them for the speck in their eye while ignoring the log in your own. And that was mm-hmm. me. And then when I discovered grace, I like went the other way and got into that whole, well, but grace, but grace, but grace. And that doesn't <laughs> mean that grace isn't amazing and incredible because it is when it's properly understood in the biblical sense and it's not diluted into this, this uh, perversion of grace that says, well, we're saved by grace, so I can go do whatever I want. And mm-hmm. and I don't know about you, but I, I hear this a lot in when speaking with uh, non-Calvinists or people that are synergistic in yes. their, in their viewpoint. That is when it comes to salvation, it's, it's a, it's a joint effort. It's like God does a percentage and man does a percentage. And it doesn't matter how much God does. If man doesn't do something, it's not, you know, man won't be saved. Yeah. And again, we're not saying the man doesn't have works to do, but those works are the result of the salvation and the, and the right. sanctification, not <laughs> not the cause of it. And again, that's all very nuanced, but I, I definitely fell on that side of it. And I it was so freeing for me to see, okay, wait a minute. No, like 
people who, who I was, would, and I, and I say this from someone who was in that, in that boat. And I used to think, oh, these, you know, people that believe in perseverance, of the saints and believe in, in these different doctrines that are common to Calvinism that we'll get into at, a, at another point, like they mm-hmm. must think they can just do whatever they want. And then right. I, and then I read like the Puritans, <laughs> I, I could just end there uh, or listen to like <laughs> Paul Washer preach and they are not antinomians. And, and that's an unfortunate mischaracterization that I've seen. I don't know. What about what's been your experience with that? I've heard the exact same argument pretty frequently, especially when I encounter people who um, have only extremely limited knowledge of the term Calvinist or Reformed. Um, it's typically like, oh, you're one of those guys. And I'm like, so what do you mean? And like, oh, God predestines these things. And like, so what's it matter? You know, you can do this, you can do that because you're saved anyway. So who cares? You know, you can go and do whatever you want because ultimately, you know, God's going to save you anyway because you're predestined to be saved. This idea that, you know, it, quite literally what Paul predicts and then answers <laughs> because they, it's just a, an entire, uh, ultimately it's ignorance. Yeah. You know, it's just a lack of knowledge or a lack of understanding of what it means to be saved by grace through faith alone. Mm. And in any simple, honest reading of the text can bring you to the right conclusions. But the problem is you have to actually be invested in understanding and interested in caring about what scripture Mm. says. Yeah, that's really good, man. And I think, you know, as we as we progress through the solas and we get you know, keep moving on. I'm very excited next because next episode we'll be talking about the object of our mm. faith. Hmm. Oh. You thought we were <laughs> the nerding crown out now. jewel, my friend, the crown you, you, jewel. You ain't seen nothing yet. Uh, <laughs> any, any closing remarks or thoughts that you have, Justin? I just want to bring up a couple of things real quick. Uh, one, I'm sure someone's going to bring up the verses in James about, uh, uh, salvation having to do with works. Uh, we can definitely talk about that at some point if, if, if people want us to. Um, but uh, an honest reading of that text in context will uh, show you that that is, in fact, not even close to what that means. It's got nothing to do with your justification. So there's that. Other than that, you know, I think we... Well, all I really want to do, and I think what Blake would agree, is we we just want you people who are listening to this, uh, who maybe have questions or comments or concerns or maybe disagree with us, just read the scriptures, pray about it, uh, invest uh, in in learning uh, a little bit more. Um, if we're wrong, if you think we're wrong, please bring it to us. We're happy to yes. uh, continue to examine ourselves. We're, whenever we say anything, we're looking in a mirror. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. you know, my, my dad's always preached that from the pulpit, you know, mm-hmm. when he's telling people and calling people out, he's saying, look, I'm saying these things with a mirror in front of me, you know, because I'm going to be held accountable. Um, and I want to know that I'm in what is actually true and not just whatever opinion I have. Mm-hmm. I want to be in the truth. Yeah, I totally agree with what Justin just said. How I got to where I am today in my faith walk and in my theology was through People who loved me and cared about me, you know, saying, hey, well, you know, you seem to think this way, but what do you think about this? Or bringing different texts to my attention and challenging me. So absolutely, that's that's the whole idea is discussion. And ultimately, we're under the authority of scripture, which that soul is a few episodes away, but that's okay. (laughs) 
And this is a fun thing. That's the idea. We're just two dudes who have kind of normal jobs and like to do this in our spare time. And uh, it's something that we hope is edifying to you and encouraging. And if there's any way that we can make it more edifying and more encouraging, like tell us, because this is ultimately, it's meant to be for you, the listener, not just for us to laugh. Right. It's fun for us, but it's, it's ultimately for the edification of the body. Don't forget to check us out on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all of which you can search Distilling Theology, except I think Twitter, it's like Distilling Tea because uh, we <laughs> ran out of room. So Whoops. check us out there and uh, like, comment, subscribe, share with your friends, family, people who like theology, people who like spirits, people who like things in general. Ooh. They're going to like our things. <laughs> uh, so yeah, thanks for watching and be blessed. And join us next time for our episode on Solus Christus. 